I, I hope that you're able to, to sing a song really loudly, loud enough that the relative you haven't seen in a couple years wants to move to the other side of the room because you're screwing up their, their key, okay? I want you to go to lunch on Christmas Day and to eat so much that you're just on the borderline of gluttonous, but you remember that we are going to be at a banquet table forever in the presence of God Having our fill, we're going to celebrate. We, we can celebrate Christmas that way, especially as followers of Christ. We can let loose, if you will, and have that type of celebration because Jesus has, through his death, resurrection, and coming again, he has saved us and he has given us true hope and joy. Really enjoy your Christmas. Before you get there, I want to talk about a brief theology and scripture of suffering and really, more importantly, healing because I think we don't have quite an overview of what scripture talks about, but we can see that there are miraculous healings that occur in both the Old and New Testament. Uh, I remember a story my mom used to tell me when I was young about uh, this leader coming and being baptized in the Jordan River, which was an old nasty river, um, and coming out of the river healed of his leprosy. It was an incredible story. And I thought uh, of another story where there was no food and all of a sudden God brings birds to feed people or he creates oil miraculously in this oil jar so that bread can be made. And I remember looking at the Old Testament saying, man, the Old Testament is full of miracles. It's full of God overcoming nature and healing people and, and doing things that are miraculous uh, and, and he had to have done it for a purpose, but I wasn't concerned with the purpose at that time. I was just uh, mystified by a, a God that would intervene in human life to do things like heal people. And of course, we know that the New Testament is full of healing. Jesus heals and heals and heals and heals and then heals some more. And then he tells his followers to go and heal. And we see healings throughout Paul's ministry and the disciples' ministry. We see healings. Uh, in the Old and New Testament. God wants to heal. Okay? Second, we know that God heals out of compassion. There's, there's the theological uh, people like myself who believe God heals for a purpose. That is true. But guess what? He also heals out of compassion. He sees suffering and he says, I want to heal that person. And even though he heals out of compassion, he also heals for a purpose. Some of us like one or the other, but we don't both. It's important to keep those two things together. And this is what's really important. And this is the the last thing that I believe is a big overview of of the theology of healing in Scripture. In the end, we will all be totally healed. In the end, we will all be totally healed of every disease and suffering and problem and thing that brings you down. In the end, you will be totally healed as a follower of Christ. You will be glorified and you will be with him forever in a totally healed state. No more suffering. No when, when we get to this passage today, that's a brief theology of what, a little bit of what we're going to look, uh, look at. But I want to talk first about the first couple of verses where we see uh, in this passage that Jesus heals for a purpose. 
Mark is the shortest gospel, and it was the first one written uh, in terms of, of, of uh, the proximity to Jesus' ministry. It was the first one written, and it's used by other authors to write Matthew and Luke. And Mark starts his gospel, the first one that's written after the ministry of Jesus. Mark starts with this big idea, and this is the big idea. If you want to know the gospels, and if you want to particularly know Mark, this is the big idea. Jesus came to tell us something. He came with a message. And this is the flow of the first chapter of Mark before we get to chapter 2. Mark starts with John the Baptist preparing the way, saying that the king is coming. He is here. He's on his way. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then Jesus is tempted in the desert And then Jesus brings a message, and this is the message. It's in Mark chapter 1, and it's really a big big message that we can unpack over the course of our life. But this is the message that he brings. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's number one. Secondly, repent and believe in the gospel. The message that Jesus came to tell us is that the kingdom of God is here, that Jesus is the fruition of the kingdom of God. He is the king of the kingdom. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. He is the Messiah. And when he says this, he says that I am here, and because that the kingdom of God is at hand, and to access the kingdom of God, you should repent and believe in the gospel. And then after that, Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men, so he gives them a purpose. And then Jesus begins to heal people and preach the gospel. That, that's the beginning of Mark. Jesus comes to tell us something. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he starts healing people. And for the next uh, several passages, all you see is Jesus healing and healing and healing. And I ask, why does he do that? If it's related to the big overarching idea that Jesus came to tell us something, why does he heal? And this is the answer. Healing gets us to listen to the more important message. Jesus wanted to heal. There was a compassion about him that he wanted to heal. But he came with a purpose. And his purpose in healing was to get us to listen to the more important message. Do you see the connection between your current suffering that, that you're going through today and why it's important? Because Jesus wants you to listen to the more important message. Jesus is in this place called Capernaum. It says he's at home. It probably was his base of ministry at this point. And and it says early in this passage that we just read, Jesus is preaching the word to them in Capernaum. It says that a lot throughout the Gospels. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. And he's preaching, quote-unquote, the word to them. And, And the question is, what word? And it goes back to the first chapter. The word is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the Messiah, the fruition and the fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, promise of the Messiah. And to repent and believe in the gospel, that is the good news. He's preaching that message. He's healing people. Crowds are coming for the purpose of that teaching. And it's because there is an authority of the message that is authenticated by the healing that Jesus is doing. Okay, here's your football analogy for the day. You get one a day at New City Church. Um, About, I don't know, six, seven years ago, 
Um, I, I started, actually, I started to coach youth football prior to that. I was an assistant coach, and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was surrounded by other coaches who didn't know what they were doing either. And together, we created quite a mess. And I got smart after about the first season. I said, hey, i got to learn how to do this coaching thing because I don't want to create a mess. I want to actually do this well. And so I, I went out onto the World Wide Web and tried to search out who could I learn from about how to coach this, this sport called youth football. And there were a lot of people out there that said, oh, you got to do this. You know, you got to do the air raid. Got to go air raid with these kids. I'm like, air raid? That's a passing offense, for those of you who don't know. Um, it's not a violent term um, in, in football. It's about throwing the ball around. There's seven, okay? They can't even hold on to the ball, let alone throw the ball around. But this guy was adamant, no, you got to do it that way. And then I went to another guy, and he had this system, and another guy had this system. And all of them were basically sitting down at the table, drawing out these things on their napkins, And they had no authority behind what they were doing because all of them were losing quite a few football games. It's like, hey man, it sounds good, but the authority of what you're telling me just isn't there because there's no credibility in you being able to take what you're teaching me and translate it to the football field. And then I came across the youth football guru, man. This guy was, and he's from Nebraska. So of course he's going to know football, right? And this guy had laid it all out. And it was really made a lot of sense. The offense was this, the defense that, special teams this. All of these things, how to practice, how to encourage kids, how to coach kids. I mean, it was a complete understanding of youth football. And and I was really excited about it. But I needed to know that the authority was there and the credibility was there to believe what this guy was telling me. And you know what the beautiful part of this guy was? He published his win and loss record for like the past 20 years. Using his system, this is what had happened. And at that point, I knew that this was the guy who had the authority to tell me how to coach youth football. And it's worked out fairly well. Not perfect, but fairly well. That, that is a comparable understanding of the messages that we get on a day-to-day basis. They sound good, they look good, but people were drawn to Jesus because there was an authority behind his teaching that was represented through his healing of people. And so these crowds came around him, and this is the the point of these first couple verses. In your suffering, Jesus has a message for you, and the message is the most important thing, and he backed it up, the authority of the message, he backed it up by the authority of being able to heal people. And this this is the, the, the message. He is the king, his kingdom will reign forever, He has already done the most magnificent miracle in you by saving you. And he wants you to apply the gospel to all of life. That is the message. Now, we read that his friends bring this paralytic to Jesus. And they tear off the roof. And they lower him into the room. And we we see in this that living by faith in the king uh, is important. Because you can't live just by knowledge of him. You have to live by faith in the king not just the knowledge of him. And there's a few things in verses 3 through 5 that I wanted to look at. First is friends. Friends. Let's talk about that for a while because these friends were significant in this story. And I don't know if you understand the culture, but if you were a paralytic, you were considered a a person that was less than human. If you had any disease or any 
um, abnormality of any kind, you were treated with, with a, a distance. You were treated with a superiority-inferiority complex. You weren't quite the same, but this guy had four friends. Okay, four. One for each corner of the bed that he was uh, on and had been on for years because of his paralysis. So these friends took this man uh, because they said the cultural norm of, of what we're supposed to do with him isn't what we're going to do. We're going to love this man. They loved their friend who was a paralytic and they wanted their friend to be healed and they were willing to go to extremes to get it done because they were hopeless in anything else. This, this is the point of that. There are people here suffering and, and what came across in some of the, the, the cards that we sent out is that I don't know if their friends sitting here, their, their, their friends who are followers of Christ in their church, I don't know if they know of their suffering, and I don't know if they'd be willing to help them by entering into their suffering with them. These friends just defied all cultural norms and helped this man get to Jesus, and because they, they knew that there was nothing else that was going to deal with their friend's paralysis, they were hopeless in anything else. So it's not just enough to rally around each other. We have to rally around each other in a hopelessness in anything else other than Jesus. The friends bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus says this. He saw their faith. It wasn't um, just belief that Jesus could heal. These friends believed that Jesus was authoritative, was God, was the Messiah. And it's really interesting to me that these friends rallied around this guy who was a, a paralytic, lowered him in to see Jesus, and Jesus saw not the paralytic's faith, he saw their faith. Um, I just thought that that was powerful. And Jesus says to them, because of their faith, he starts with the most important healing. It wasn't the physical healing. The most important healing was the forgiveness of their sins. I'm going to talk more on that in a little bit. I'll just say this. In our culture, we have forgotten, especially in the culture of of the the church, not just this church, but the church across um, our country and maybe even in, in the Western world, Um, we have forgotten that the most important healing is the forgiveness of sins. It's the forgiveness of sins. Now, we go to verse 6 and 9 in the passage, and I would say these these passages or these verses basically say that the king works in mysterious ways, but not in our ways. It's interesting that the scribes, you know what the scribes were? The scribes were the people who had the Excel spreadsheet out, and they had indicated what the rules were. These are the rules. These are how you behave. This is what you believe. This is the rules. And they see Jesus forgive this person's sins, and and they have, what does it say in the text? Questioning in their hearts. Questioning in their hearts. Now, we have taken this type of situation, the questioning in our hearts, and we have made it, an art form. And these folks are, are, are not um, questioning the power of Jesus to heal. 
Okay, they're questioning the lordship, the deity of Jesus. And when I read that, I was like, in, in my personal suffering, and many times I don't respond the way I should, many times I respond many times like these scribes do. I have, I have a question. God, what are you doing? Don't you understand that I'm a Christian? I read my Bible this morning. I've told people about Jesus. I stand up every Sunday and I preach the word of God to people. And I'm, I'm, I'm bold, I think, for, for your name. And um, I, I try to tell people the, the right way and the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And I do all of, all of these things. Why aren't you taking care of this situation? Why aren't you healing this person? Why aren't you al- allowing me not to experience the depth of the suffering in the particular issue that I'm dealing with. And, and in that case, you're not questioning, I'm not questioning God's power to heal. What I'm questioning is something far more significant. I'm questioning his lordship, his deity. That's, that's why um, the, these scribes have questions in their hearts. They're questioning the lordship of Christ. Now, why do we do that? And why did these scribes do that? It's simple. We want to rule our own lives and we want to get a little healing on the side. We want to rule our lives, but we want to get a little healing on the side. We pursue Christ for healing many times, but we don't pursue him for lordship very frequently. Now, that sounds um, maybe harsh, but I have to tell you, if this planet and this, this life only is going to last for a little while, then my pursuit of, of temporal healing, I- instead of pursuit of the lordship of Christ in every area of my life, is a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. Jesus is not just another man with a gift of healing. He is the God-man who says he is ruler Overall, go back to what he began to teach. He is the king of the kingdom, and we are to repent and believe in the gospel. So he asks these people who are questioning in their hearts the lordship of Christ, which is easier? Great question. Which is easier? I love, I got to be honest, man. I, I love how Jesus either took a class in logic or he just was perfectly logical. Just love that. I'm pretty sure he's perfectly logical. Um, Even though he was a a human being, he was still fully God. He was perfectly logical. And he asks these men, these scribes, which is easier? Is it easy to forgive sins or to heal somebody of their illness, their sickness, or their infirmity? Jesus implies that forgiving sins is much harder than healing someone from those things. And he backs it up, uh, backs up this, this statement by having the authority over the result of sin, disease, suffering, death, and paralysis. So he says, hey, you guys think that, that it's easy to heal someone, and for me it is because I'm God. Do you think it's easier to forgive or to heal? Answer, it's easier to heal, and no one 
can forgive sins. No one can deal with the result of sin other than Jesus Christ. He backs it up. He has the authority over the results of sin, disease, suffering, death, and paralysis. He closes this passage by saying that he has a greater purpose in mind for us in our healing. Verses 10 through 12. Interesting, I'm going to read them again. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus has a greater purpose in mind for us in our healing. The number one thing, authority. Authority. Authority leads to hope if the authority is the authority. Let me say that again. Authority leads to hope if the authority is the authority. I've said this before in many different ways, but everybody in this room is following an authority. It's the nature of who we are. Some of us think that we're our own authority and we're following that. Some of us have other circumstances or or a hobby or a job or whatever it is. We follow, as a result of how we're made, an authority. Um, I would call that we are all created to worship. So we're following an authority. And the question is, is yours a life-giving or life-taking authority. The only authority that can save you, can heal you in all creation, is Jesus. Now, if that is true, then by definition, there's a few things that you need to understand. First, Jesus sees your suffering, and there is a purpose in it. The only authority in all creation is Jesus. If that is true, by definition, Jesus sees your suffering and there is a purpose to it. Second, if that is true, he can heal you now of your earthly suffering, but he will certainly heal you later of all of your suffering. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. If that is true, that the only authority in all creation is Jesus, if that is true, he alone can heal you of the critical problem in your life, which isn't a sickness, it isn't an emotion, it isn't a disease. The most critical problem in your life is sin. It's sin. That which is separating us from a relationship with God. That which is a result of our fall and our desire to pursue another authority other than Christ. Jesus gives us hope because he is the authority. Secondly, glory. The trajectory of all human life is to glorify God. All human life will glorify God. Some will be in very painful, horrible situations that lead to a very horrible, painful eternity. There is a glory in that, but the trajectory of all human life is to glorify God. And we do well when we understand that our lives are to bring God glory, and in bringing him glory, we get our greatest joy, even in suffering. So I'd finish by saying this. I'd go uh, take you back to the phone call that I was on driving down Parker Road, hearing that my nephew had... Um, been hit by an IED, his legs were gone, 
His life was in danger. And he was at the point, possibly, of not being here, and if so, was going to be without his legs. Colton wasn't healed physically to the extent that I had hoped for, that I had prayed for, that I had pleaded with God for. But I'll tell you this, Colton's life, my nephew's life, has brought more glory to God, more glory to God than had he been completely fine and gotten out of Afghanistan unscathed. He, he now is able to point people to God through his testimony of the grace and greatness of God healing not just his life, but all of who he is. There is a, there is a newfound um, mission in his life, a newfound understanding of the way he is to live. He's able to speak to other people. The other day, um, we were doing something at the house, and I don't know what, how this all came about, but my youngest son came home um, with, with a magazine that they use in the school, and on the cover of that magazine uh, was my nephew, who is now climbing mountains, believe it or not. I have a trouble jogging around the block. He's climbing the seven summits or something like that um, with two prosthetic limbs. And as a result of him being on the cover and they studied that and my son saying, hey, that's my cousin. Now the, the kids in that classroom who many of them don't know Jesus, many of them don't have Jesus as Lord and Savior, they were able to write some letters to him and were trying to work out a situation where he can come and talk to the class and talk to the school about what happened to him. And I guarantee you, because of the way he uh, communicates his testimony, God will be glorified. Great suffering has brought about great glory for God. The critical healing is the healing that we all need from our sin. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 6, ends with this conclusion that by the wounds of Christ, we are healed. And we usually use that passage for Good Friday or passages like that for Good Friday, but we're going to use that for Advent. Because as I said, there's nothing more than I want for you that God wants for you is to celebrate the blessings, the goodness, the gifts that he has given you and to have just an epic week this week of celebrating the coming of Christ by giving gifts to each other, by eating together, by, by having uh, celebrations that are off the charts. And that's all possible because deep in our hearts, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know we have been healed. We know we have been healed. It also says in that Isaiah passage that well, we, without Christ, are on our way to death. And you know what it says is death? It doesn't say murdering your neighbor or, you know, cheating on your wife or, you know, stealing from the boss. It says that death is going our own way. 
So when you wake up every day and when you're going through life and you're making decisions by going your own way, that is a path to death. We want it that way. We're all self-destructive. We want to go our own way. But Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and he will guide us along his way. And only he can heal us of our greatest sickness. And according to that passage, our greatest sickness is going our own way. I've said this before. You will only flourish by following Jesus Christ and making him Lord of your life. Only his wounds his stripes, his death, his blood on the cross can enter you into the kingdom of God. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what communion is about. And this communion might be um, maybe extra special for some of us. Because we've been going our own way. We've been trying to do things on our own. We have taken upon ourselves the, the burden of trying to earn something that can't be earned. Only through Christ's death on the cross, his body being broken, his blood being shed, are you able to know what the kingdom even looks like to pursue Christ as Lord and leader of your life and to stop going your own way and to live a life that is full of celebration and blessing and an understanding that we will be seated with Christ at a banquet table forever and every tear will be wiped away. All suffering will be gone. We will be made new. And folks, it's going to happen in a blink of an eye. I saw um, someone here before, before we go to communion, I'll just say uh, um, this quick story. I saw someone this morning that I hadn't seen in a few years and when they were telling me what's going on in their family and, and what's happening in their life, um, I just remembered when, when I last saw that person, you know, I could actually take my son in a wrestling match. No more can I do that. I mean, he's grown up, six foot tall, 190 pounds. My daughter was, you know, cute and cuddly and I could just squeeze her and hug her and hold her and talk about dolls and go to the American girls show, store, what's that store called? Yeah, I'm right, I'm not good. You know? And, and in three years they're totally different. They're grown up. I, I remember when my dad who's here this morning could actually take me in a wrestling match. It's no, that was years ago. I mean, and, and now he's in his 70s, God bless him. Hopefully he'll get to 80 because he does push-ups. But it's coming quick. And the healing that has taken place in your heart allows you to see the first coming of Christ as a direct path to a healing that only he can give and a direct path to the second coming of Christ where you will be with him forever and everything will be made new. Take communion this morning. Um, with that on your heart and in your mind. I would also say this. We believe that Jesus can heal people. We don't know what his purpose is all the time, and we want his purpose for you. If you are struggling today with anything that you want prayer for, I'm going to ask all of our elders and maybe some of the other uh, leaders of our church, um, if you could come forward, if you're led to, and pray with people, I would love for that to happen today.
Stay after church. Come forward. Be prayed for. We'll pray for healing. And we'll thank God for the healing that he's already done in your heart to forgive you of your sin. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat an extra helping of turkey on Christmas Day in celebration for what you've done for me. I'm going to laugh twice as hard and twice as long at a funny story that my children tell me because of what you did for me on the cross. I'm going to go outside and, and sled or play in the snow and maybe even pull a hamstring, I don't know, um, in celebration of you giving us your life in exchange for our sins being forgiven. So as we come to this communion table, let us receive this gift of taking your body which was broken for us and dipping it in the wine or the juice representing the blood that forgives us our sins and brings us into relationship with the Father. And may through our suffering, whatever it is, there be a deep and abiding joy that one day, maybe soon, maybe not, but one day it will all end. But we do know that we've been healed of that which keeps us from a relationship with you. So we rejoice. We sing these songs with a, with a heart full of joy because Jesus died on the cross. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.